Okay, so tonight we're going to be talking about relationship dynamics, and we're going to talk specifically about stress and coping within the relationship dynamics. And this is something that we all need, and I don't want to spend a lot of time in what stress is. I think at this point in our lives, we all have a good handle on stress and what stress is in our life, right? Um, and if you don't, please see me, and we will talk about that later, because there's so much more to talk about what happens within a relationship dynamic, and not just the dynamic between me and somebody else, but the relationship I have with myself. And that's something that's really important, the relationship I have with myself. How does stress impact my relationship with me? I had a conversation earlier with somebody where we were, we were talking about the inability to extend grace to me. I can extend grace to every single person out there, and that doesn't feel nearly as challenging or as difficult as it is to extend grace to me. And I think that's a common problem we as humans have. If I have a hard time with grace with myself, I'm also going to have a hard time with stress with myself. That relationship with me is really important. Not because I want to be egocentric or I think I'm all that and more, but because I know that in order for me to move forward in my own life, growth, healing, and my spiritual life, my discipleship with the Lord, that means I have to be aware of some of these areas that I struggle. And if I can't handle sitting with me, then, then the honest truth is I'm not going to be able to sit with you. If I can't handle my stress, I won't be able to handle yours. So how I treat me is a really good indicator of how I'm going to treat you. And it's a very powerful one, in fact. Most times if I have a family setting where I have a whole family come in for therapy, and people still think this is either funny or wrong, that this is one of the first questions we like to ask as a therapist. But the question is to the kids, what kind of sex life do you think your parents have? Because believe it or not, they know. They, they totally know. My husband's best friend growing up, they knew very clearly that when his friend's parents went into their bedroom at 3 o'clock every single Sunday and didn't come out until 6 or 7, what they were doing. Not because... Bible study? <laughs> Bible study. Not because they were doing anything that was wrong or they were exposing their kids to the wrong things. They were just enjoying each other's company. And so his response would have been like, yeah, I think they have a great one. Not that we talk about it, but I think we have a great one. How do you know? Because of how they treat each other. How they treat each other. So we're able to see that. And kids are really in tune with my emotions, my level of stress. They feel it. Even infants feel this energy that's inside of us. One of the best experiments I ever did was with Jared, my oldest, when he was about one and a half. I was over at Borders, which is no longer a coffee shop, if any of you remember Borders. <laughs> yeah, a, yeah, a coffee in a bookstore. I was over there studying. I was in grad school, and I was studying, and Will was calling me. I cannot get this kid to fall asleep. He is just so amped up. He will not relax. And I said, okay, I'm just reading about this. So let's see if it works. Let's see how that happens. Did he wave? Everybody wave. <laughs> 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 yeah, he certainly has 20 moms. Yeah, I don't know if he's going to come in or not. 
So I sat down, I go, okay, like, do this. I want you to sit in the rocking chair in his room, and I want you to slowly breathe five times. Slow breath in, slow breath out. And we know that this slow, deep breath is the way that we manage our anxiety, pull down our, our, you know, our nervous system, and, and help us to recalibrate. And I just want you to close your eyes, and I just want you just to, to relax yourself. And I just want you to do that a few times, and then like 10 minutes, give me a call back. Let's see what happens. And I was like really hoping, oh, I really hope that this research I'm just reading about is working, right? And he called me back. He was like, you would not believe it, but he's asleep. I can't believe he's asleep. And I go, so tell me, because you know I'm a student, so my husband has a, has a master's degree as well, being my guinea pig, my first one. Um, I go, tell me, honey, what were you so stressed out about? And he named like several different things. He goes, but I didn't even realize it. I go, isn't it fascinating how we can intuitively feel and sense what's going on for somebody else? And he was reacting to all that was going on within you, and he was unable to calm down for himself. So it really goes back to not just the relationship I have with you, but the relationship I have with me. How am I doing in that? How am I working through my stress to be able to help me, to be able to cope and soothe and move forward? What does that look like for me? Because how I'm dealing with myself is going to impact you. And so I think that's really important that we get a good foundation. And actually, probably something I should have mentioned at the beginning of this series on relationship dynamics is my relationship with myself is the first important relationship. My relationship with God is also another first important relationship. And then my relationship with everybody else, right? Because like it or not, if I can't treat myself that way and I'm not treating others that way, then I'm pretty confident that my relationship with God is off in some way. Because I'm unable to connect with him. Because I'm treating him the same way I would treat me as myself and anybody else. So it all ties in together. Does that make sense? It all really does tie in together. In 2009, there was a study in France that said stress should not be considered on its own, but associated with risk behavior. In other words, I should not just look at stress and the impact stress is having on somebody or in a relationship, and this study was specifically to addictions. I need to look at the risk or the risky behavior that's connected to it. And those of us who have been in recovery, we know that when stress goes up and I get triggered, what happens? I want to drink. I want to get on Facebook. I want to eat. I want to smoke. Yeah. Like, like we could go with the list could go on and on and on and on and on. Because all of a sudden, those, those behaviors is like a tea kettle that's sitting on the stove and it's ready and it's, it's, you know, spouting off all its steam. And you're like, oh, I got to take that off. That risky behavior lets off the steam, but the stress has bottled up inside of me. And so it seems worthwhile to engage in whatever that behavior is for specifically each one of us. For, for everybody that looks different. And it could as much be a, a, a behavior that sounds like negative gossiping. I'm super stressed out, 
And so I'm going to go to you and 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 you, everybody. I'm going to go to everybody and talk about something that's going to be negative and it's going to be gossiping. But, oh, that feels so much better. We actually call that triangulation. In order to relieve my stress, I'm going to pull you in onto my side to validate how and why I'm feeling this way against whatever this situation or person is. And so now you are with me and we are against that person or thing. And so I'm triangulating you into this dynamic, into this relationship dynamic. And you know what? I do that with myself. I convince myself that maybe that other person was off or wrong or I saw it differently and and I can alleviate any feelings of responsibility or wrongdoing or whatever it is. And so this is a very common tactic we use. And we know scientifically that it truly does lower our, 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 our nervous system into being more normal. So we can function in a healthy way. And there's a, fr a thing called flooding. How many of you have heard me talk about flooding before? A few of you. Okay. So flooding is a physiological term, a scientific term, and it's in a lot of the research John Gottman has. Gottman is a marital researcher who at this time has done over 40 years of research on why couples, why marriages succeed and those who don't. And he calls them the masters versus the disasters. He has a lab in Seattle, but actually I don't know if he's still running the lab, but at the time when he was running the research, he had a lab up in Seattle where they would take a couple and they'd come in for a weekend and they would film them, they would measure the hormones in their pee, they would draw blood, they would do, they would take their oxygen, their breath rate, everything. They would record their facial expressions, everything. The tapes from being in his clinical um, meetings with, with other therapists, I've been able to see some of the tapes. It's fascinating, fascinating work. So he discovered that we get very flooded. It's something that happens within our body. And what it means is that my emotions are high, my ability to think logically and rationally is low. Emotions is high, ability to think logically and rationally is low. And there are specific things that cause us to be flooded. And I wanted to kind of draw this out for you. So those who are on the recorder, I'm drawing a cup and I'm not an artist. FYI. And if this cup represents my life, there are certain things that are going to fill this up. And naturally, it's going to happen every day. When a toddler gets filled up in their cup, and I call it the witching hour between three and dinner time, where they're starving and they're cranky and they need something, and you're just like, here, sit in your high chair and eat a few Cheerios while I finish making dinner, their blood sugar is down. They're hungry. That is why they're acting the way they are. They're flooded for a reason. So there are things that fill us up. When we're hungry or hormonal, when we're angry, lonely, tired, stressed, which we're talking about now, sick, sad, and when we feel fat and ugly, which I don't know about you, but I always relate that one back up to the hormonal. <laughs> 
having had a few pregnancies, it's hard to get away from that feeling when you're hormonal and your hormones are all over the place. And so when these things fill up our cup and I'm flooded, I'm at the, the top, I am not in a place to be able to have a difficult conversation. I'm just not. You take any adolescent girl who's trying to figure out her own cycle, I guarantee you those hormones are all out of the place. You're not going to have a really clear, logical conversation with her at that time. And with boys on a different end, we have to be able to know how these things impact us and cause us to be flooded. So when I'm flooded, my, my heart rate is elevated. My ability to think is all scattered. It might feel a little confused. My, my nervous system is activated. It wants to go into that fight, flight, freeze. And all my stress hormones are kicking in. So one of the things Gottman found is that they had increased cortisol, increased adrenaline, and other stress hormones activated when these couples were flooded. And then the, the relationship deteriorated because the conversation deteriorated. And these are all things that can fill us up, right? And just on a normal day, I wake up, I'm tired, I didn't sleep well, maybe I didn't have a good breakfast, maybe I don't feel good because of what I ate for breakfast, maybe there's extra stress at work today, or maybe there's stress in my family for whatever reason, a whole bunch of things. Maybe I'm angry because of the things that's happening that I have no control over, either in my family, my world, my city, my community, whatever that is, like all these things. And if we're not aware of what it is that's causing us to flood and to, to be in this elevated state, then we're not going to be able to do anything about it. In other words, I'm not going to be able to take care of me. Now I'm going back to that relationship with me. I'm not going to be able to take care of me if I don't know what's causing me to be get flooded. Some people, they get home from work and they're just like, you know what? I need to go for a run. I just, I've just got to go work off some steam. What are they doing? They're taking care of themselves. They're lowering their stress. They're lowering their anger. They're lowering these things. Other people are like, I need a snack. I know dinner's in an hour, but, but I've, I've got to have something now. Why? Because hunger is at the top, and that's something that they can do about it. With an athlete, I guarantee you, she gets out of the pool, and she's hangry 100% of the time. We have a protein shake waiting for her. Honey, don't talk yet, just drink this. Please drink this first. Because she's, she's a teenager, she has a hard time regulating all of that, and she's just so hungry because she's worked really hard. The same with anybody who has a really long, hard day at work and maybe didn't get a good enough of relaxation, they didn't get a break, or they didn't get a good luncheon through the day. And so they need that. Maybe you need to go in and take a 10 minute nap. There's a reason why they call those power naps. They're amazing. Sometimes we just need to know what is it that I can control and what can I do for myself to remove myself from this place of being so highly emotional that I'm not even able to process the conversation we're having. And stress is a huge one. Stress that is unmarked and undealt with can make me sick. I can have, I, as women, we hold on to stress in our bodies and now we're gaining weight. And we're like, what's going on? Now we get, go back down to the bottom where we're feeling fat, right? Why? Because we have all that stress because that's what happens when all our, our body gets activated in that way is it holds on to stuff. It's in survival mode. 
And if I've been in survival mode too long, my body isn't going to know how to get out of it. So I'm now, I've, I'm not only am struggling with the relationship with myself and with stress with myself, it's actually magnified because I don't even know how to get out of it. So I keep doing the only thing I know how to do. Now, let's add on addiction, those risky behaviors on top of all that, right? So then there's, there's the competing war between I know I need to move out of this and stop doing X, and, but I don't know if I can, so I keep, fall back into it and I do it, but I'm so stressed and this really helps and so I do this, but I don't, and you, you hear the war within you? It keeps happening. And it becomes this vicious cycle that we're unable to get out. It's like a hamster on a wheel and just spins and spins and spins. You know, after a while, that hamster goes so fast, it's going to like shoot out and like create a, like fly out of the cage or something. And it's going to get really hurt. Or it's going to be like a snowball that rolls down that hill and becomes an avalanche and is just destructive. It's very powerful. I don't think we realize how much stress interplays with the relationship with me and how much it interplays in my relationship with other people. And the work really begins first with me. There is a really great TED Talk. It's about a 15-minute TED Talk. I've, I've posted it a couple times. I haven't done it about a year or so. But it's talking about the, 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 the thing that's missing with addiction, the thing that we need when we're recovering from addiction is connection. And it's a, it's a very powerful TED Talk where this guy was overseas and he was, he was looking at different countries and how they deal with addiction versus how you know, the United States deals with it. Some states, some countries, they don't arrest them. There's not that, that high penalty that there is here in our country. But what they did is they set them up in, in rehabs. They set them up in communities of connection with people. They gave them a job. They gave them a life skill. And they helped them move forward. And, they, and he actually talks about how they found higher success with that method than we're finding in the U.S. It's a very powerful video. Um, I'm going to see if I can... I'll post it on Facebook for you guys, okay? So if you guys are on Facebook, I'll post it on Facebook and you guys can see it. And if not, share it. If not, then let me know and I'll get it to you. It's just a powerful video. And, and I love the fact that the huge, the huge part, the main premise is connection with other people. Doesn't that sound just like God? Doesn't that sound just like him? to heal us through other people. Yet the hard part is, sometimes I get to that place because of other people. So now how do I deal with that, right? How do I heal from the stress that's caused in relationships and the decisions that I made that led me down this road and know that the, the way I come out of it and I heal is through connections with other people? That's a hard one to muster. Like, how do you think through that to be able to get to a place where you're like, yeah, I can do this. And yet God in his infinite wisdom gives us so much to be able to fall back on. And part of that, I wanted to pull up a few different scriptures. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I have eight tonight. So is anybody open to reading a passage or two for me? Yes, okay. Um, why don't you take 1 Peter 5, 7? Okay, back here, Philippians 4, 6 through 9. 
Psalm 55:22, Proverbs 12:25, and let's start there. Okay, ready? Cast all your cares on him. I'm sorry. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Yeah, cast all your anxiety on him for he cares for you. How do we do that? How do you cast your anxiety on somebody that you don't know and have a relationship with? How does that happen? Does it happen? I think the answer is no. Yeah. Well, I was just going to say no because either I cast my cares and then I take them back. Uh huh. Yeah. We're really good at taking things back, aren't we? Yeah. See, I think the great thing here is that I, as, as it says in 1 Peter, I'm casting my cares, my anxieties on him because he cares for me. There's a relationship he wants to have with me. There's a connection that he wants us to be in together. And the more I'm in that relationship with the Lord, the more I trust and am able then to put that on him. I'm not going to give these to people who I don't trust. And maybe trust is an issue I have. Maybe I've trusted the wrong people in my life. And that makes trusting anybody, especially the Lord, hard. That could be. But the, but the reality is, I can't, I can't follow through with what First Peter says if I don't trust in the Lord and I'm, I'm not moving in that relationship. So that's the first thing. Okay, Philippians 4, 6 through 9. One of my favorites. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, yeah. brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, How powerful. Paul gives us a really clear understanding here of how, what to do with my stress and anxiety. Because stress unchecked turns into anxiety, right? Which can turn into many other things. Depression, loneliness, shame, and the cycle goes on. He gives us a very clear understanding of how I do this. And the first thing he says to think about when he gives us that litany of things to think about, what's the first thing he says? Things that are true. Things that are true. How often do you think about things that are true? I don't do it very well. I know it's, I'm a work in progress in that way. It's so easy to think about things that may be even a half-truth. It's hard to get outside of ourselves and to realize, wait a minute, this might not be true, and so I'm, I'm listening to the wrong advice or the wrong person or the wrong voice, and maybe that voice is me. And we can talk about where that internal voice comes from. However, that does lead us back into that relationship with myself. I've got to be able to speak truth to myself. How do I know it's true? I need to take it back to Scripture. What does Scripture say about me? Who does Scripture say I am? And there are specific things that 
that are going to lead us into feelings of shame and guilt, depression, anxiety, and amplify that. And then there are things that are not. There's a really good book out there called Feeling Good, The New Mood Therapy by Dr. David Burns. He's one of the main theorists on cognitive behavioral therapy. I always recommend my clients read the first four chapters. And he talks about the 10 different cognitive thoughts, distortions, different way of thinking that lead people astray. In fact, my belief is if you want to feel depressed and anxious, make sure you're thinking in all 10 of these ways. Because it's going to easily lead you right there. Yes. Feeling Good, The New Mood Therapy by Dr. David Burns. It's like a $10 paperback, yellow paperback book. It's not a faith-based book, but he's really good in being able to help you understand what those 10 distortions are and then being able to pick that out of your life. You give us a syllabus. Give you a syllabus. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that would be fun. I didn't even think about that, a syllabus. Um, so, so really being able to understand, am I thinking about things that are true? Because if I'm not, then all the other things, excellent, praiseworthy, lovely, all those things are going to be really hard to think about. I'm not going to be able to think about things that are that way if I'm thinking only in one way that's leading me away from the Lord and into negative thinking, i.e. not truth. It doesn't mean that the truth is easy or it's, it's favorable or it's feels good. That means it's truth. And that's different. Truth with a capital T. Now the last part about this is that he says the peace of God will be with you. If you do this, then this is going to be the result. So it's not magic. It's not I do this and poof, that's what happens. It's saying develop a habit and a discipline of thinking in these ways. And as you do that, you're going to discover that here you have the peace of God, which truly does transcend all understanding. And he will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. How powerful. I mean, when Paul wrote this, he was shackled in a prison cell, right? How powerful that this is where he thought and he pinned these words. I, I don't know if he did so as, as just a revelation to the church in Philippi or if he did this as an encouragement to himself or a mixture of that and something else, but I'm so glad that he put this down and we have it today. Okay, Psalm 55, 22. Um, cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous fall. Mm, so good. So cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. Let's stop right there. If We've already talked about how I can't cast my cares or my anxieties on anybody I don't trust, right? So we know that the first thing I have to do is work on trusting the Lord. And then it's saying that, remember, as you're working and developing this relationship with him, he's going to sustain you. What does it mean to be sustained? Take care of. Hold you up. Filled up. Yeah, we got that. We need to be filled up, held up, and taken care of when we go into battle, huh? And daily can feel like battle. Every day we wake up. We don't know what the world has for us. We don't know what the enemy has for us. So when we put on that full armor of God, 
What does it look like to move in that direction? He's going to sustain us. So now we talked about in 1 Peter about how we trust in him, and that is something that we're working on in that relationship dynamic between us and the Lord. And now we're talking about in Psalm 55 how he's going to sustain us through that trusting in him that I can give you this stuff, Lord. Could you say also sustain comfort you? I do. Yeah, she said, do you think also sustaining can comfort you? I would say yes. What do you guys think? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know what? When I'm in a really scary place and I don't feel good about myself and I turn to my husband and he sustains me, he holds me up, he cares for me, I definitely feel comforted. And that feels good. And that actually brings us together. Imagine if we took that and we applied it to our relationship with God. What that would look like when we're feeling so stressed and so flooded that we're not sure how to move forward in my relationship with me, let alone with anybody else. Okay, Proverbs 12, 25. Yes. That's okay. Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. Mm. Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. Wow. And, and, and I'm using anxiety and stress tonight interchangeably in case you guys didn't realize that. I just want to make that clear. It's going to weigh me down. What does that feel like to be weighed down by stress and anxiety? Horrible. Immobile. Paralyzed. You can't do anything. Yeah, absolutely. And so now we're, we're hearing in this Proverbs, he's saying, hey, warning, don't allow this to happen to you. Figure out a way to keep this from happening and occurring in your life. Because I guarantee your life is going to be better. Not easy, not pain-free, not problem-free. Better when you learn how to trust in God so you give him these things so he can sustain you. Isn't it interesting? Now we've had three specific verses that all relate around that same thing, right? First Peter, Psalm 55, and Proverbs 12. And then Philippians is telling us, how do we do this? What does this look like? So I want to go through a few of uh, these other verses with you. But before we do that, I'm curious, what are some of the ways that you take care of yourself or you help your, your spouse or your friend or your child? What does that look like for you as you're moving through stress or they are moving through stress? In other words, how do you cope with it? How do you manage it? How do you overcome it? Yeah. Well, with my daughter, I do talk. We talk through all the feelings. Talk through all the feelings? Yeah. Yeah. I actually, I started taking a class that um, helps with breathing and stretching and relaxing. And I oh, good. Every day for an hour. Oh, good. A class? With breathing, stretching, relaxing. I love it. I do that every Friday when I take my yoga class. <laughs> and I don't miss it either. Because I'm a different person after, after that than I am before that. Because I'm able to release that energy and get all that out, right? We need that exercise from out of our body. 
Absolutely. What else? Yeah. Do a lot of focusing on just gratitude and blessings when I start feeling really anxious or everything starts going wrong. It starts to spiral. Uh huh. Start losing sight of how much I really do have. So sometimes I'll I'll just start with like the most basic. I have clean sheets. Yeah. I have I have running water. Yes. I have roof over my head. I have food in the fridge. I have a car to drive. And I once I start just at my very very basic needs. Yeah. I realize how incredibly rich I am. Mm. And how even though these other things are hurtful or irritating, God is doing so much to love me and care for me. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Gratitude is important. Starting at the most basic things. I have sheets on my bed. Not everybody does. I have a roof over my on my head. Not everybody does. I have food in my fridge. Not everybody does. Right? So it gives us a perspective. Truly, truly, that's good. That's really good. What else? I always think of that poem that you say. It's, it, it goes like I cried, I cried because I had no shoes until I met the man who had no feet. Oh, yes. I always think of that. Well, what she was saying, you know, we always have to be thankful for the basics. Yes. Forget that. Sometimes we do forget the basics. You're right. I think when we do that, we, we stop taking care of ourselves. Because I'm, I'm, I'm looking outwardly at the external, and I'm expecting something out here to come help me when really God has already given me what I need. And that's, that, that's going back to him and that internal relationship that I have with myself and him. Yeah, that's good. What else? What are some other ways... Yes. If I come home and there's a lot going on, I'll usually sit in the garage and try to finish whatever little conversations I have in the garage and not break them in the house. Or I'll just say hi to Anita and then just take the dog and walk around the block. Because uh, sometimes I'm trapped on yeah. job sites for 8 or 10 or 12 hours. And just to get outside and just smell grass is like cool. Yeah. Well, I love that you said that. Sometimes I'll get outside and I'll smell the grass. That's cool. That is grounding using our five senses to ground us into where we're at is so important smelling the grass looking at the sky like so important yeah well i must you know that i take a walk in the mornings not every morning but i walk from my house to valhalla back it's about four miles but i listen to planning center which is the music that daniel posts so i go over and over and over this so it's the choir stuff it's the christmas music it's the whatever and you know granted careful, but it just really speaks to me. Yeah. Anytime we're able to engage in worship on a walk, here in service, it really does speak to us and it fills us. Absolutely. I, I do the same thing. I, I, I walk real fast because I have a little dog, but when I look and I walk, I see the flowers, the trees, the grass, and the birds, and, and I've met so many neighbors just walking my dog. Oh to people and just interacting. Hello, how are you? They're watering or they're doing something. And I've met so many people in the 11 years that I've had this dog. That's amazing. I've been in this house for so many years, but I've met more people that way. And I don't take any earphones or anything uh-huh. like that. Now, what works for other people is fine, but I don't. I'm not one of those people that have to have yeah. earphones. 
You just, just you and your dog. And I have a tag that I hang over here. It says, in emergency, this is the number. You know? My neighbor told me, well, what if you have an accident? And I never thought of that. So that's why I have a tag. That makes sense. Yeah, but I really enjoy those walks because they really refresh me. Good. It's good to get outside of our element, our surroundings, to have a different perspective to be in a different mindset. Animals really help us do that, don't they? Animals really help us do that for They're sure. They are a comfort. They are, <laughs> definitely. Other ways that we, can, that we can deal with is through community. Did you ever think about how our group here tonight is this community of support? How, how when we have our conversations and we meet together that we are helping each other manage our own stress? how we're learning how to better have that relationship with ourselves and others, how we're hearing from different people and what works for them. And maybe, maybe parts of it may work for me and parts of it may not, but maybe it triggers a thought that does work for me or the Lord is doing something in me and I go home with that. This is part of that. This is part of that coping. This is part of that managing what's going on in our life. And that's so important to know who is my community, who is my support, who can I talk to? Who can I share this with? That's so important to know those people. And it doesn't have to be a lot. Jesus had 12 disciples that he lived life with. He had six that he was really close to. And he had three at his core that he spent a lot of time with. Peter, James, and John. So much so that he asked them to go with him to the Garden of Gethsemane and pray. Now, we can talk about a relationship wound because they fell asleep and he was hurt when he came back. And we can talk go about it, but I don't want to go into that tonight. But just the dynamic that he had 12, but he didn't, he didn't have the same relationship with all 12. He loved them all, yes. But what the relationship looked like between the 12, 6, and 3 was different. I don't need an entire congregation filled with best friends. I just need a few trusted people that I know will have my back and I know I can have theirs. It doesn't need to be a ton, but we do need a few. We were made for connection. We were made for connection. Yeah? Okay. One of the other things I do, I started years ago. During the day, I'm usually doing something mechanical, electronics, electrical, whatever. If I'm like just totally zonked, I feel like I'm full of stuff, I can't mm -hmm. think anymore. I'll do something. Is that left brain or right brain, your mechanical side? That would be left brain. Uh, then I'll, I'll do something with music. I'll play, oh, I'll music. That's right brain. Or write something musical uh -huh. or something. And that used to the other side. And it kind of, it's, it's a complete distraction. That's awesome. It's both sides of your brain, but it turns off that other side while I'm doing something musical. Yeah, no, that's actually really great. I love, I love that you said that. To go from using your left brain to your right brain, your left brain, mechanical, logistical, analytical, black and white, likes to everything in its own place. The right brain, creative, colorful, sporadic, just out there. I used to have on my laptop, I used to have a cover of the left and the right brain. And the left brain, this is my left, the left brain was all black and white and had these lines with numbers and, you know, 
math problems and the right brain was like flooding with color like way out here and people were dancing and you said music notes and there's all this creativity and that's really the truth and when I get stressed and when all that builds up guess which side of my brain I'm really stuck on my left because my left is going to want to solve that problem my right brain though is going to get me unstuck I need that kind of like vacation from utilizing that left brain. I need to be able to take that break. That's why using your senses to be grounded, music, art, drama, all that stuff is so important. Connection happens on your right brain. Left brain's too analytical, too rigid. Right brain connects emotionally and creates those memories. So you can see how, obviously, God gave us both sides of our brain. He wants us to utilize both. So we want to be whole-brained. Part of having that relationship with myself is knowing, like you said, I've been way over here on the left. I need to get over to the right for a bit. Absolutely. There was a study done when, when my, my youngest, Xander, was, um, I want to say I read it when he was four or five. At that time, we were doing three to four outpatient therapies a week, physical, occupational, speech therapy. He needed help in everyone. I know you wouldn't see that looking at that 6'3", beautiful boy now. Um, but we went through um, over a decade of weekly therapies for him. And, and one of the things that was really foundational was when his occupational therapist came out and she handed me a study knowing what I do and I love research. Um, she handed me the study about the importance of playing with Legos, not the kits where it comes and it shows you what to create, but just the Legos, a pile of Legos and being able to have them create. It was a study on autistic kids and have them create something with those Legos. Powerful movement over to that right because autistic kids are fundamentally stuck on the left, right? They're, they're flat affect, they're not as emotional, like you just, you can concede in their mannerisms, not very social, don't care for people, crowds, all of it easily sensory overload. And what they found is that as these kids were playing with these Legos, they were learning to utilize and activate that right brain more. They started developing verbal skills that they didn't have. And the parents were astounded. My kid who I never thought would talk is now starting to say something. It felt like a miracle to them. It was a miracle, right? Powerful stuff. It's easy to get stuck in a certain position, and stress wants to do that to us. It wants to trap me, and it wants to get me stuck not just in mud, but quicksand. So I need to be aware of it. What are the things that stress me out? How do I manage that? How do I move forward? With myself with the Lord, and then with others. Thoughts, questions before we close? Yes? I was just reminded that when you started talking, I didn't want to interrupt. This whole thing talks to me about a self-soothing problem. Uh, babies uh -huh. have a certain expectation when they cry for a certain time frame. They know mother will come and tend to the baby. And if the baby's not tended to, it starts to have a, an anxiety. Yes, their stress hormones go up. Yeah. Reminded me of all that, and I have a self-soothing problem, and that I need 
Sure. Thank you for bringing that up. If you have never watched the still baby experiment, still baby face experiment, if you go to YouTube and you put in still face baby experiment, you'll see this baby and the mom. And, and what they're doing is, is they're tracking what happens with the baby when the mom has no affect and is not engaging and how the baby is doing all these things to get the mom's attention. And the, the less attention the mom gives the baby, the more agitated the baby becomes. Now, just FYI, they do allow the mom to pick up and soothe the baby. <laughs> so you do see that. They don't let the baby stay in that heightened arousal place. But, it's, but if we didn't have that as a child, don't underestimate the importance that that has left on who we are. If we had parents who were stressed out and, and, or, and or addicts or emotionally distant and not present with us, don't underestimate the, the, the fact that that is going to do something in us and that's going to bring something out of us today. It probably makes us easier to find something else to connect with or an addiction or would, again, fill in the blank with whatever than it would be if we had a parent who was emotionally present and had that capability. I don't believe that all our parents who weren't there for us didn't want to be. I think a lot of them didn't know how to be. Eventually the baby gives up trying to get the mom's attention. I've seen her have a look at her phone. Right. Not look at that baby. And eventually it just kind of gives up and kind of just sits and waits for that, you know? Right. Well, and so, so you know, that's when we get into failure, failure to thrive and a whole bunch of other things, which we won't go into tonight. But it's important to know that at that very grounded place, those first two years of our life, we're already starting to learn some of those behaviors and traits that we are dealing with today. And we, we, we pull it in, just like at the beginning where I talked about how Will was taking care of himself so Jerry could fall asleep. Well, he was pulling it in. If, if I don't pull it in and I don't know how to do that for myself, I can't do that for my child, and now they're going to take and replicate that. This is not a conscious thing. It's just something we, we just inherently do. So at the very beginning, connection is important. Yes? This might be more than a couple minutes, but at the very beginning, you talked about triangulating when somebody comes at you, mm. and you're like a Debbie Downer or a Johnny Downer. And you don't want to get sucked into that triangle. Yeah. How do you encourage or deflect? Yeah. When somebody wants to triangulate you into their yeah. stuff. Yeah. I'm going there. Yeah. I don't want to be rude, but <coughs> yeah. how do you walk away or encourage that person? That might be a longer topic. I don't know. That might be a longer topic. I think the short answer for me is I would say I would listen to them. And then I'd say, you know, it really sounds like you need to go talk to that person. <laughs> Go talk to Kim <laughs> and just say, I, it really sounds like you need to have that conversation. They don't like it when I say that because I'm not giving them what they want. I'm like saying, oh man, I can't believe this happened to you. That person's just the worst. They don't want a solution. They don't want a solution either. We call those help rejecting complainers, HRCs, help rejecting complainers. They don't want it. They just want to complain. Yeah. They don't want the help. They don't want advice. They just want to pull you in because that relieves their stress and anxiety. So when I see that, I don't want to play into it, right? So I have to make sure I recognize I'm going to stay strong. I'm, I like to give them 
the time to get it out, and then I say, you know what? It sounds like you need to go talk to that person. What you're saying is they want to vent. They want to vent, but in a way that, that pulls you into their problem. And so now, so now you're, so here's the other downside with triangulation. Now I'm a part of their problem, but they've gone and they've repaired with that other person, but I'm still on the outs with that person. Well, that doesn't feel good either. So we want to really avoid this really messy way of dealing with stress and anxiety. That's baseball bat. Baseball bat, no. No, 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 no baseball bats. <laughs> okay, any other questions or thoughts tonight before I close in prayer? Yes. We need to set up the room, please. Yes, we need to set up the room. So let me pray. Yes, let me thank you for reminding me. Let me pray, and then we will set up the room for women's Bible study in the morning. I just wanted to know, are you going to continue Monday nights through the fall? Yes. This is going to continue every Monday night? Yes. Oh, okay. Yes, every Monday night. Okay, I just wondered. I, 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 I talked to Pat, and I asked her. She didn't know, so oh. I would ask you. Yeah. So it's from going to continue, so I just, that's all I wanted to know. Okay, okay, let me pray. No stress. <laughs> no stress. <laughs> Most holy Lord, we are so grateful that we can turn to you, that no matter how big our stress, no matter how much anxiety we are feeling through whatever's going on in our life, when we hand it to you, Lord, it's not too much for you. We could all hand you every single one of our anxieties and stress and cares and worries at the same time, and yet your, your arms are so big. You're so loving and you care for us so deeply that you are still able to shoulder it all because in hindsight, it's not nearly as big as what it feels like to us. Yet Jesus, as we do that, we continue to learn and grow how to trust you even more, how safe you are, how compassionate and gentle with us you are when we are just not that way with ourselves. I pray, Father, that as we leave, we will be able to continue to not just connect with you, but we will hear you as you teach us how to connect more with ourselves, how we can grow and heal. In your most holy name, amen.